Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Crazy Money. How the heck are you? I have a great conversation to share with you this week. Yes, I know I say that every week, but this week I double, triple mean it. I have a very interesting conversation to share with you with Trisha Addicts. Trisha is a sorority rush consultant, and yes, she is that sorority rush consultant who was featured in Bama Rush, the Max documentary that has captured the nation's attention as part of the overall phenomenon that is Rush Talk, that is hashtag Rush Talk on TikTok, on TikTok, on TikTok, and Instagram and other social media platforms where people are tagging themselves as participants in the overall sorority rush process, hoping to build their own brands and gain the attention of the world and the sororities they hope to join. Now, as a middle-aged man, I've been uh, oblivious to this overall rush talk phenomenon until about five weeks ago, I guess, when I saw the headline of a Wall Street Journal article, and the headline read thusly, parents hire $4,000 sorority consultants to help daughters dress and impress during rush. And because I'm a reactionary person, I was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, I can't believe this is where we've gone. I forwarded the article to my wife. I forwarded it to a couple of buddies. And I was like, have you heard about this? And then I actually read the article, (laughs) which is helpful if you uh, don't want to be a reactionary, judgmental prick like me sometimes. I read the article and I was like, okay, well, let's think about this in the context of a world where people hire private trainers, private chefs, private coaches, private tutors. You know, maybe it's not as outlandish as I had originally thought to hire a person to help you navigate the very murky waters of the sorority rush process, especially if you come from outside the privileged world where you have previous exposure to how all this stuff works. Indeed, there is a secret language. There are the process is all based on who you know and who your connections are, who your family is. And if you don't have those connections, uh, then maybe you need a, a jungle guide to help you figure out the landscape and help your kid find her place in the Greek rush process. I'm not saying this is either a good thing. I'm not saying whether it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a thing and it's worth our consideration to say, you know, where does all this fit? Where does it fit? And even, you know, hey, if my kid goes to college, should they join a fraternity or sorority? Should they decide that they want to go in? What would I be willing to do to help them figure out what the best place for them? Trisha's company's called It's All Greek to Me. She and her work have been featured in the New York Times, the New York Post, CNN.com, News Nation, UK Daily, and many, many more. I've got links to her company and to her Instagram in the show notes. By all means, check her out and listen to the conversation. Come to your own conclusion. I think you'll find it interesting, and it certainly made me think a little bit. This is Trisha Addicts. Question number one, what's the biggest faux pas made by Rushies? Biggest faux pas made by Rushies. There are a lot. Can we come back to that one? This is not lightning. This is <laughs> that's what I'm saying. This is very slow. I gotta think okay. that's, there's there's so many that I can't I can't lightningly think of one. Okay, three best fashion brands to signal that one is Zeta material. hell zeta material it depends on the school you got to be more specific it's at university of alabama we're gonna we're gonna tap into the bama rush hashtag while we have it love shack fancy golden goose 
Okay. I've never heard of either of those. Not Perry Ellis or uh, <laughs> Laura Ashley? No. <laughs> no? No. Okay. It's not the 80s anymore. Best band to ever come out of Athens, Georgia? R.E.M. Easy, easy question, yeah. Well, there's also Love Tractor and uh, Widespread Panic, but REM's yeah. an easy question. I have a lot right. of spreadhead friends. Who will win the SEC championship this fall? Georgia. Okay, what is the biggest faux pas made by Rushies? Uh, biggest faux pas acting board while they're in Rush. Acting board. That's good. All right, that's the lightning round. What about acting superior? Is acting board acting superior? Yes, Absolutely. So you've got to be into it. You got to want to well, do Well, you got this. to act like you're into it. Yeah. It's it's a really hard thing to be into. What can belonging to a sorority do for a person? It gives people their people. Gives them a sense of community. So I go to the University of Alabama, it's 16,000 undergraduates or something like that. That's on you. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the first time I experienced fraternities or or learned about them in high school, I asked a guy who was a few years older than me, I said, why would you want to join a fraternity? He goes, because you can make a big school small by joining a fraternity. Exactly. But you can't make a small school big. What is that guy doing now? He's an attorney in Columbus, (laughs) Georgia. He came to a show not long ago. Okay, so it narrows down a big school and gives you a more defined social set. Right. As the attorney said, it makes a big school small. Okay. And that can be done in any number of ways, but sororities do it with a social focus. Yeah. What does it cost to be in a sorority? Depends on the school, but for instance, at Alabama, I believe it's $4,000 a semester. Per semester? Per semester. So that's 8000 a year? Correct. What do I get for that? Is that room and board or is that, that just is, membership? That's if you live in the house. It's a meal plan. I mean, that number varies and that's just average. It varies by house, but it includes meal plan, room and board, and the fees. There are social fees. There are house mother fees. Sure. All kinds of stuff. But you got to live and eat somewhere, right? Correct. So I imagine the food and accommodations at these places. They didn't really show the inside so much of the houses at Alabama on the documentary, but the outsides of the houses, yeah. these are mansions. Inside, they're mansions too. Yeah. I, have a, I have a ton of pictures of the inside of these houses. Oh, let's see them at some point. Maybe yeah. you can share them for our social media feed and for your social media feed. <laughs> How is SEC Rush different than Rush from around the country? How would you describe it? SEC and ACC, but mostly SEC, goes to the rest of the country, ACC, SEC. Mm-hmm. It's elevated in every way. It's the number of people. It's the requirements to get into sororities. It's the history. It's the tradition. And it's the connections. And that. It's so steeped in tradition that it, at these southern schools that it, there's no comparison. Northern schools don't have that. They have it for academics, but they don't have it for sororities and fraternities. You know, they talk about in the, on the, in the documentary the kind of top-tier houses and middle-tier houses and then lower-tier houses. Mm-hmm. It's not just joining a sorority. It's joining like the sorority that can change your social status on campus in a pretty meaningful way. Yes, absolutely. It can but going back to the sheer numbers, the tiers of sororities are a little bit blurrier now because so many people that are smart and dynamic and kind and philanthropic and beautiful and all these things are going through Rush that mm-hmm. it's hard to make that line as clear-cut as it, as it has been in the past. That said, the documentary, the tiers are not at all 
dictated by the guys. That was Oh, that's what they said. They said yeah, the they tears said, are determined by which guys want to associate with it. Absolutely has nothing to do with it. Well, it has how? to do with it's like the animal kingdom. It's it's the power, <laughs> it's the charisma, uh-huh. and it's the connections, the survival of the fittest. The top tier are the most connected. They're the ones that are the most powerful. It has nothing to do with what the way connected they look. to whom? Like they're from the most connected family families, connect, family connections, right. money, yeah. power. That's what it's about. Yeah. Versus, I mean, they don't care if you're blonde and skinny. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't care. I mean, right. obviously, in life, if you're good looking, I mean, look at me, how successful I am. Just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> um, but I mean, it matters how you look sure, in life. Sure. But what I'm saying is that's always going to give you a leg up, but it doesn't give you an extra leg up to get into these top tier sororities. But all else equal, being attractive is a very exactly. positive that's, thing for one's candidacy. Right. Okay. All other things equal. Exactly. Let's go back. How did you start? Where does one become a sorority <laughs> rush consultant? How did this come about? I've wanted to be one since I was a baby. <laughs> just kidding. When daddy um, asked you what dad, you wanted to I said, I want to be a rush consultant, daddy. <laughs> no, I went through rush at Georgia and I was from North Carolina and had a really bad experience. My freshman year it stuck with me, even though I went back through rush my sophomore year and mm-hmm. pledged, mm-hmm. uh, Top tier sorority. Chi Omega. Chi Omega. Chi But that stuck with me. And yep. I really wanted to help people not experience that. What, what mistakes did you make? Or, or, I didn't or, make or, any mistakes. <laughs> what happened that it was a bad experience? So what happened was what I experienced, which is something that doesn't happen anymore. It's called a mismatch. Mm. So I put my first choice and I was on, not on their li- top list. And then the other sorority that I prepped, I was on their top list. And I put them second. So I, it crisscrossed. Mm. So I'm flattering myself, but it was a computer thing. It d- can't happen anymore now. If you pref two mm-hmm. and you write them both down, you, you're guaranteed a bid. From right. Home. Oh, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. So whatever 14K computer they were using exactly. in 1986 exactly. kept you out of the... And hey, I'm look, blaming the, it on the dot matrix is what I'm blaming it the on. The Apple IIe that they had <laughs> in the computer lab at UGA kept you... And look, it created a career for you. Exactly. It, so yeah, so anyway, I, I helped my friends, daughters. I was a professional photographer and took their pictures for Rush. There's a certain thing that you need for your resume. And mm-hmm. so I was helping them throughout the years and... I was at dinner with some friends, and they were like, you have to do this as a business. And that was seven years ago. So I created this space seven years ago. Mm. There were people that have done similar things focusing just on Texas or just on one school. But I'm pretty sure I'm the first person that has done it for all schools, for clients from all over the place. How many... Students, are you advising every year? It varies. Uh, I tried to change it this year to help more people by doing a seminar mm-hmm. and making that available for purchase with a school-specific Rush Bible. So I wasn't going to take clients, and then the demand was there. So it varies. It probably ranges between 30 and 50 a year. And what has happened to your business in the aftermath of Bama Rush, the show on HBO Max coming out, and... You're being featured in the Wall Street Journal, Marie Claire, and Business Insider, and dot, 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 dot. 
So Wall Street Journal was the tipping point. Mm. So That was the first I heard of it. Right. And so what happened, Bama Rush, the people that were interested in Bama Rush watched the documentary. But then when the Wall Street Journal, I did some other interviews before that, but when the Wall Street Journal had me on the front cover, that's when all of a sudden people like you or who didn't care or know about Rush were <laughs> – Well, honestly, um, I hadn't even thought about right, it. Right. That's what I mean. That's a way better way of saying it. But people were like, wait, what is this? And yeah. so now it's constant. Like My first reaction was like, what the fuck? I know. You know. I know. And I was like, 4,000. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, wait a minute. We spend thousands of dollars on athletic coaches for our kids. Mm-hmm. People spend thousands of dollars on SAT tutors for their mm-hmm. kids. They spend many thousands of dollars on college admissions coaches mm-hmm. for their kids. This makes perfect sense in, in that context. Yeah. And then I was talking to my wife about it. She's like, we know a lot of families who have done it. And I'm like, I guess that makes perfect sense. Right. Yeah, it's because if you're going to do it, you want to do it right. You I mean, know, you, have, you, you basically have one, you have one and a half shots, right? And if you break it down, yes, it's a bougie thing, and you have to be able to afford it. But if this is what you're setting your sights on, it's not a cheap thing anyway. Right, but right. you kind of have to have some ex- expendable income to be in a sorority. But if you break it down, the amount of hours that we put is 3,500, but that starts whenever they sign up through Rush. And the amount of hours that we spend with these clients, some more than others, some need it more than others, but it's a lot. It's a high-touch service. Very high-touch, This is not software where you write it once and you get paid many times over. Exactly, which would be nice. (laughs) Well, there's what courses and things like that that you even mentioned that those are high, that those yeah. provide the same service with higher margins, right? Correct. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. We can talk about your social media presence and your your business propositions afterwards. So what's the experience like? So who contacts you? The mom or hundred percent mom or grandmother? Really? Mm-hmm. What does that conversation go like? I just want my daughter to be happy. I don't care where she lands, but she's you know very shy or she's just might need some help or whatever. And then I have to talk to the daughters and the daughters are not always on board. And so Mm. that's a struggle. Most of them are, but there are the ones whose parents are just throwing money at it. And they're like, I want to basically pay you to fix my daughter. (laughs) And I can't do that. What can you fix and what can't you fix? That's a, a really good question. And we'll use the word fix and as charitably as we can. And that's not, it. and it's actually not what I'm trying to do. Right. I'm not trying to change anybody or fix anybody or whatever. It's just like a job interview though. Mm. If you go show up to a job interview in a bikini and the person interviewing you is wearing a suit, I mean, that's extreme wouldn't happen, but you're not confident. You're sitting there thinking about what you're wearing the entire time. Mm-hmm. So it's not about what they're wearing as much as the confidence they feel when they're wearing it. And so that's what I would try to fix, to use that word again, but it's not really fix. I would make sure that what they're wearing is rush appropriate, what they're saying is rush appropriate. So give me some examples of what's what kind of clothes are not rush appropriate. Well, the article in the Wall Street Journal quoted me talking about the client with Doc Martens. Um, <laughs> she wanted to wear Doc Martens during Rush, and I was like, you know, 
That's great. Oh, you will find your people in your sorority, and then you can wear Doc Martens every day if you want. Mm-hmm. But if you walk out of your room, dorm room, to head to your first rush party, and you're wearing Doc Martens, and everybody else is wearing espadrilles, you're going to not feel confident. It's not trying to change her into a an espadrille-wearing person. It's to change her mindset for rush that in order to show your confidence, you have to be confident in what you're wearing. Mm-hmm. And, and it has to fit into a certain, what was it like stand out, but don't stand out. Yeah. Was, there was some, there was some be an individual, some, but some podcast completely trashed me and I can't remember like saying that, but of course they took it out of context. Sure. Like everything else, it doesn't make sense. But what I mean is you have to be able to show your style and your, so that's where you've got to stand out. But it's got to be in appropriate for Rush. Right. So that's where the stand out but don't stand out thing comes in. And it yeah. does sound out of context, kind of, I kind of agree with the podcast people for trashing me on that. But well, it's a thing. And then that was trying to get my head around it. And we watched the, my wife and I watched the documentary with our 12 year old daughter. And, you know, we were talking earlier about, I just hadn't thought about Rush since, I don't know, since I went through it, you know, whatever, 30, something years ago right. and so you go it's not a time of life but my right. daughter is going you know be in high school soon and at some point you know the question of russian sororities may or may not come up depending right. upon where she goes to school and what she wants to do but we're watching it and she's like they all look the same right and so the stereotype is first of all white caucasian blonde skinny you know upbeat and so that's not an accident right that that's that that's how they appear Correct. So people are trying to put together, they, they want to be at least no Doc Martens on the documentary. Right. right. The case for individuality comes in when? After you're into the sorority and you can. The do case for individuality comes into play during Rush much more muted than when you're in a sorority mm-hmm. because. Then you're celebrating differences. The rush process itself is so superficial. It's hard to stand out with clothes. And and so you kind of have to just rely on your personality to do that. Right. And, okay, so you mentioned don't say inappropriate things. What are rush appropriate things to say and what are inappropriate things to say? Well, there are the six Bs that you're not supposed to talk Mm -hmm. about. Everybody else says the five Bs. I have a sixth. Booze, boys. Booze, boys, Bible, bucks. The one I have, I add is brands. Like mm. nobody wants to hear you talk about the fact that you have five Chanel purses or whatever. I'm, we're, I'm missing one. I'll think of it. So the Bible one, I you know, a lot of the girls had Bible verses in their mm-hmm. rooms and stuff like that. And so you want to you want to let them know that you believe in God, but you don't want to be overly religious either. No, you don't bring it up. Period. Yeah. As a Rushi mm. or a PNM potential mm-hmm. new member. You don't bring it up. If they bring it up, you can talk about it, mm-hmm. but don't lead with it ever. Right. And if they don't bring it up, they don't care. Right. So that brings into into question, okay, what about diversity? I mean, do Jewish girls get into Christian sororities? Or they, There's so much discrimination against... There's so much discrimination <laughs> against the girls not getting No, in. okay, so Alabama sororities were integrated in 2013, I believe it said. How much integration is really taking place? I personally think and i can't speak to this because i am not black but i personally think that 
if a black girl wants to go through Rush at the University of Alabama or any of the schools, I think they have exactly the same shot. As long as they portray themselves. As long as they portray themselves in Rush appropriate way. I don't believe, and again, I can't really speak to it because I don't live it, Mm -hmm. but I don't believe from what I've seen that someone is not getting into a sorority because they're black. I just don't, I just don't see it. So one of your consultees who was featured in the documentary is mixed race, Mm -hmm. Michaela, Mm -hmm. right? And you helped her present herself Mm -hmm. in a rush appropriate way. Mm -hmm. And she dropped out of the rush process. Mm -hmm. But it seemed to me that she was also not a great communicator, extremely shy. Mm-hmm. So that was probably her biggest, a uh, bigger challenge. Yeah, it had nothing to do she with... Was a, she was it an attractive girl. To, yeah. She looked good in, in rush-appropriate clothing. Right. It had nothing to do with, with her being black yeah. or her being... Oh, her, I, didn't, I didn't suggest no, that. No, no, I know. I didn't mean that either. But what I'm saying is it had way more to do with her grades mm. and her... It was hard to... Social interactions. Social interactions were tough. Yeah. So you've got to... Be able to be confident, but not too confident. You've got to be able to wear the labels. Does does a middle class person who says all the right things, wears all the right, do they have a shot at getting into a top absolutely. house? Absolutely. Oh, a top house? Yeah, absolutely. Even if they have no connections? Absolutely. And, okay. Well, no, I thought you were talking about clothes. Like middle class. Yeah. I mean, not all of the top tiers are rich. It's the charisma too. Yeah. It's, it's charisma. And there are a lot of, and... We tell our clients we have a list of thousands of brands. And yes, I was saying Zeta, Golden Goose. Golden Goose is a very expensive brand of tennis mm-hmm. shoes. But oh, those are those like $800 tennis shoes yeah. that look like they're 12 years yeah, old. Yeah, and they, and they <laughs> don't even get me started with that. But if you're rocking Target tennis shoes, it's great. Doesn't matter. It's all about confidence. Yeah. I'm asking these questions. Rush appropriate Target. I'm asking these shoes. questions because I, you know, when I showed up at Rush, I showed up at college. I barely knew what fraternities were. I grew up in the suburbs, but we weren't rich. And we'd get letters from, you know, I went to Rhodes College, but I also got into Georgia. And I was getting letters from the University of Georgia from all the fraternities and saying, come out to the lake, hang out with us. Right. I'm like, what is this? I don't even understand. Like, right. I didn't know. My parents didn't belong to sororities and fraternities. They didn't tell me how to play the game. So not even knowing how to play the game is a big part of it. Because you show right. up and you're like, if you don't know the rules of the game, you're screwed. Right. And that's exactly... One of the things that happened to me, both my dad and mom were in a sorority and fraternity, but we didn't talk about it. It wasn't a thing. They went to Emory <laughs> yeah. and they, I had no idea what I was getting into. No idea. Yeah. No idea. They didn't care. Social media is such a big part of the way girls present themselves now, mm-hmm. but it can work against you in a huge sure way. It can, yeah. What's the right way to use social media in the rush process? You need to show that you're a girl's girl. The number of pictures that you have with a guy or by yourself cannot exceed the number of friends and family. Mm. You got to look approachable. You got to look like you've got it going on. They look at all the personal, but there's some people who are like, there were a couple of the girls on the, on the documentary were like really going forward. Like, this is my rush outfit. This is my rush uh, kit. We wouldn't let our clients do that. And it was like, gosh, that, that seems like it would be a turnoff. Yeah. So the social media presence is really, they're not influencers. They're, this is my life. They're, right. they're curating their life the way all of us curate our lives on social media, but right. they do so with the understanding that it is going to be examined very closely by 
by rush committees and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's a terrible thing. I mean, I'm not saying like as an old person, I think it's a terrible thing, but mm-hmm. I won't let my clients do it. We had a client this year who wanted to do her OOTDs. We were like, no. What's an OOTD? Outfit of the day. That's, oh. that's what the... <laughs> That's what the Bama TikToks, that's what started this whole thing. The yeah. documentary was a response to the Bama TikToks where girls were jumping into the frame. Hi, my name is Trisha. My top is from Prada. My skirt is from Lululemon. And then jump back out of the frame. Mm-hmm. And it made girls look vapid and like brand obsessed. And then they went viral. They've been viewed over 3.6 billion times. Oh, my God. And so the Bama Rush documentary was in response to that. Oh my gosh. Trying to show And that, so are those girls who are doing the OOTDs, are they getting into sororities or is that uh, seen as a into, turn off? They're getting into some. There are some sororities that really value being insta famous. Really? Mm-hmm. But what if you try to do it and you don't get you don't get traction on social media? Are you just seen as a desperate loser? A little thirsty, yeah. <laughs> thirsty. <laughs> I like that. People in their 50s are throwing around words like thirsty. Well, why not? You work with 18-year-old girls. I know it all. I know all the words, Paul. So what do you want? Where does this business go? I want world domination. Come on. What does that mean? No, I'm just kidding. I really want to reach more people. I'm writing a book, and I want to be able to give everyone going through Rush the chance to to navigate this system, which is – it's really hard to navigate mm. do you want to grow the company do you want a bunch of employees do you want do you want to make millions of dollars doing this well duh duh i don't think i need to grow the i mean i have people waiting in the wings to work as mentors and that's all client demand i have to restructure it every mm-hmm. year just because the demand changes and but what i would like to do is have my book become which is called the rush bible mm-hmm. become the rush bible yeah sort of like what to expect when you're expecting for uh, rush you know have you uh, i interviewed lisa bernbach who's the author of the preppy handbook ah my high school was in that charlotte country was, day was school really? uh-huh. <laughs> we were super pumped about that yes and that is kind of what i think my book will be that's interesting you can't get it online though i mean she is it's i tried to get a copy I have one, but I tried to get one when I started writing a while ago. It's tough to get. I think I've got a copy around here somewhere. I know I read it before I interviewed her, but it's been a couple of years. Tell me about a success story. What, like, Give me a couple of, of the experiences you're most proud of for your clients. I think there is one girl who just, she was struggling. She was, she did not have any clues. She was a, a tiny town in Alabama and she was going to the University of Alabama and she was going to get eaten alive. I mean, she didn't know anybody. It was, you know, very backwards, her town, not her. And we worked with her. I worked with her every day through the summer and helped her gain the confidence that she knew. You can hear Colonel snoring. That's, that's Colonel the French Bulldog. Yeah. But I worked with her all summer and really, I feel like, helped her find her true self. It sounds so hokey, but it's true. She didn't know what she wanted. Now, I'm not talking about which sorority, but like she didn't know her major. She didn't know what she was interested in. And we just not at all qualified to be a therapist, but we spent a lot of time like learning who she was as a person. And then I was able to help guide her once I got to know her and what she 
really was a per and I was able to guide her and help her get into a sorority that was a great fit for her. And yeah. she's now president of the sorority. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So she really found her voice through this working with me. The amount of anxiety. Oh man, it's off the chain. It's sort of like it feel it made me feel like, gosh, one, kids are more anxious than ever. Oh God, yeah. Because of social media and cell phones mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And then you go through rush. And you're being judged mm-hmm. every which way. You can't say you're not being judged. Right. It is a judging process. Right. How do you coach them through the anxiety involved in, in the experience? So again, not a therapist, but there is a lot. I play one on TV. There mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a lot of that that goes into building the comp- – I keep saying this, but confidence is the number one thing. If mm-hmm. you're confident, you project it, you're going to land – you know, where you want to land. But building that confidence through anxiety is is a tough thing. I think what I am able to bring to the table for this is a sense of calm, like, we've got this. We don't ever guarantee that someone's going to get in, into a sorority, but we have 100%. What do you mean by that? We have, 100, we have 100% success rate. Defined how? Getting into a sorority that they're happy with. Okay, but Michaela didn't... We but. have a hundred percent success rate of people who who run the playbook. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. we have four people in seven years that did not do anything we asked. We have one girl who's would not archive her photos and she had a bunch of thirsty pictures of just herself. <laughs> and you know Thirsty how? Like, like looking sexual or Yeah, sexual over the shoulder with the bathing suit on. Yeah. And I have that uh, look. I gotta change mine. Yeah. A million of these photos. And we, yeah. we we said, if you don't archive these pictures, you are not gonna get into a sorority. And she refused. It was the trade off wasn't worth it to her. That's not on me. That's on her. So that success rate comes but and Michaela, she knew that she had to get her grades to a certain point and she didn't do it. Right. That has nothing to do with her as a person, but you need to have a certain GPA to get in a sorority. Have you ever told a, a potential client, maybe this isn't for you? No. Because I think if, if it's what you want and you follow the playbook, it can be for anybody. So I just wore, I wonder about, you know, this person who wanted to wear Doc Martens. Is that, was that just a hypothetical or was that a real person? No, it was a real person. Okay. So like we were talking about the anxiety of the thing and confidence. And I'm going like, you know when I'm most confident? When I'm most comfortable. Right. When I'm being me. When right. I'm being authentically me. And if I'm trying too hard, I know it. Right. And other people know right. it. Right, no, yeah. Well, to use her example, I said, here is a list of 4,000 <laughs> pairs of shoes that you can wear. <laughs> right. If you cannot find a pair of shoes that you're comfortable in with 4,000 options, yeah. that's a whole bigger issue. And she was totally confident. And she rocked. I mean, she rocked like she could be a supermodel because of the way she wears clothes and yeah. the confidence. So. I'm not trying to say that it has to be your personality espadrilles, mm-hmm. but that was just my example. Sure. No, and I don't. And she I, didn't wear espadrilles. No, it's the whole thing's a game, right? And like it's so many things in life that when you go through them, it's so, it's like it's the most important thing in the world, but it's a game, right? You know, job interviewing is a game. Right. Sales is a game. Mm-hmm. Comedy, getting ahead in comedy, is a game. Mm-hmm. But you can't see that when you're going through it because that's it's your identity and. One of the girls said something like, when I find my place, then I'll know 
who I am. Yeah, it's I like, was... and I was like, whoa, 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 no, you are not your sorority. You are. Right. I think that she didn't really know what she was saying there. I well, think... they're also eighteen. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think she was trying to, and I think the reason they use that over a bunch of other quotes that happened or that were said, I think that they were trying to make it a little more deep. Well, it's a documentary. Right. They've got to have a storyline. I certainly didn't expect Alopecia to show up on the, <laughs> you know, as, as a main storyline. Well, that but, was, that solidified that I was writing my book. I was like, people are, want to know about Rush, mm-hmm. and they didn't get that from the documentary. Mm-hmm. They learned a lot about alopecia and about the <laughs> I- the issues that, this is my opinion, the issues that young girls have fitting in in the world, not just in Rush. I mean, those girls had some serious things that they were dealing with. And Mm -hmm. I think it was great that they touched on them, but it didn't answer the question, what is Rush like? Yeah, It was more going deeper on, which is great, but it wasn't about Rush. What else would you want to clarify in terms of what we saw in the documentary that doesn't clearly represent what's happening over there? I don't think any of it really represent what was happening during Rush. I Mm -hmm. think that the documentary took a turn that she was not expecting. A hundred percent, I know she wasn't trying to take down sororities. She was trying to show that young women are way more than their outfits of the day. Mm. But doing that, the documentary took a turn away from Rush and sorority girls into more her struggles to fit in because of alopecia and the issues that these young women face. Yeah. Which is... Great, needed, all that stuff, but it gave me a really good chance to write a book about what people want to know about. Yeah, the actual process. The actual process. Yeah, yeah, without making it dramatized. Right. Well, I've got a question from my old friend Jennifer Clowen in Manhattan Beach, California, who wants to know, what effect has feminism and the Me Too movement had on the world of sororities? Have they changed? Uh Uh-uh. I don't think so. I don't think it's... I mean, maybe at Northern schools, I think at Northwestern, they got rid of sororities. I'm not even 100% sure that's true, but I heard it. But the majority of the women in these sororities are going to go out and work at least for a while, right? I mean, they're going to, they're on a professional track. Right. So maybe it's different than the, than 30 or 40 years ago. Maybe I misunderstood the question. Well, Um, you know, people from California are very difficult to understand. (laughs) We have a lot of clients from California, and that's it, it's an interesting. So many Californians coming south, right. east, and south, and now, especially with the documentary, where you've got it's going to become a much more popular school, right? And they need the playbook because right. they haven't grown up with it, right. and they don't have the connections. And it's all about connections, right. isn't it? Yeah, there are some spaces in the top tier sororities that are basically saved, left open for like rush week finds, but Mm. for the most part, no, No, it's all about the connections. That definitely changes as you trickle down into middle tier and lower tier. Meaning there's a broader representation of people outside of Mm -hmm. the private schools in the Southeast from Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, right. Whatever city those kids are from. Right. Yeah. As far as the me too movement, I do think that sororities get a bad rap for being just social Boy crazy. I mean, they really, their morals and their values, they really stress that. They were trying to find people who have the same morals and values and 
philanthropic interests. Mm-hmm. And that part, I think they are feel stronger in their sense of self when they get graduate. Because they were in a sorority, they, right. they understand that these morals and these values and this giving back is, is really important. So I think it empowers them a lot. What do you think all this says about the human need for belongingness? Uh, I think it says everything about that need. I mean, and again, I'm not sitting here with a bow in my hair saying everybody needs to be in a sorority. I'm not. <laughs> but I, I told you to wear a bow, <laughs> Trisha. If I knew a lot about horses and you wanted to be in the equestrian club at Auburn, which is great, then I would want to help you find your people that way. Mm-hmm. But I think everybody needs or feels like they need, and I agree that they need to find a place to belong. I just happen to be really, really smart about sororities. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. I happen to have done the research, and I know that. I know that informed, smart, smart's smart good too. In, but informed, informed is, is, is as accurate. I'm, I'm, I'm really smart too, <laughs> but informed about sororities. Yeah. Yes, and I've done the research, and so that's where I can help. But somebody else can help you. Who's with your horses? Who are sororities not for? I think sororities are for pretty much everyone, but the ones, the people that have a chip on their shoulder already about Greek life. And there are people don't understand it. I had a woman client this year. The mom was like, I was the one who was making fun of sorority girls. (laughs) She was like, I was like, they're all a bunch of followers and Mm -hmm. I beg to differ. They're all a bunch of leaders, but she was like, I was so happy not to be in a sorority in my school. And I thought they were all just stupid. And and she's like, and now I'm seeing through my daughter, these are like the opposite of that, you know? So I think that people like her, it would take so much convincing, just do something else. Right. We don't need to convince you. If you have a chip on your shoulder about it, then it's probably not the right place for you. I think it's really important for me personally for people to understand that this is not about getting rich people's daughters into the best sorority. Mm. My business is about helping empower young women to block out all the noise during a very superficial, terrible process and try to figure out where the best fit is for them. It's really not about making someone wear a certain thing. It's just about empowering them to have that confidence during this process because it's a brutal process. Yeah, and how to present themselves. How to present themselves in a way that, like I said earlier, if, if you feel good about what you're wearing, you feel good that you don't have orange rivers running down your face because your makeup is sweating <laughs> off. Because it's 95 degrees right. in Tuscaloosa And during you this can't process. be confident. And so yeah. then you're thinking about that instead of actually talking to the person that yeah. you're talking to in a rush round. Mm-hmm. And then you could be talking to her and feel the greatest connection, but you can't feel that connection if in the back of your head it's, I'm not wearing the right thing, I'm not saying the right things, yeah. I'm not... You just can't. You can't do it. Well, it's really interesting. Congrats on the success of your business. Thank you. Where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? They can find me on the interweb web. It's all Greek to me dot org. It's org. If you put in com, you'll get a Greek restaurant. <laughs> and um, at Rush With Confidence on Instagram. Oh, 
cool. You know, what I found interesting about, I mean, I'm sure you've considered this, but saying it's all Greek to me is like, yeah, it is Greek, it, both literally and figuratively mm-hmm. in the sense that if you don't know how to play the game, it's going to be gibberish right. and you need somebody to help you figure out how to play it. I thought of that. Too. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't think that was an accident. <laughs> Trish Addicts, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Well, there you have it, folks. I'm grateful to Trisha for making the time to come over and talk to me. She has a very interesting business. Say what you want about sororities or fraternities. Believe in them or don't. But she has an interesting business. She's creating a service that creates value to people. She's providing uh, a roadmap, jungle guide services for a world that is not intuitive to a lot of people, either because they're not from this world, they don't have family connections, Whatever. And I think that, you know, if you think of, you can't have a business unless you create value for your consumers. And she will either grow her business because she is creating that value, or people won't see the value and they won't pay it. Sounds to me, honestly, like the amount of time she spends with each of these rushies, that she's probably underpricing herself. I don't know. I don't know. Would love to hear what you all think. Please post in the Crazy Money group on Facebook. Tell me your thoughts. Please uh, send me an email at paul at crazymoneypodcast.com. Repost our social media posts and, and share your thoughts on Instagram and on Facebook. Very grateful to you for listening all the way to the end. Wow, that's thunder and lightning. I've got four new episodes in the can coming out in the next few weeks. Got some really cool stuff also lined up for new interviews. Grateful to you for being supportive of the show. Thanks so much for that. In the meantime, Mike Carano, make me sound smart.